Hello, welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Sola. This series covers the five pivotal ideas of the Protestant Reformation. Grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, glory to God alone. These ideas lie at the heart of the true Christian faith and are as foundational today as they were 500 years ago. Today we're going to be doing the fourth uh, teaching in our five-week series on the solas of the Reformation where we're really going back and looking at the great central truths of the gospel that were central in God's old covenant with Israel. They were central uh, in the time of Jesus in the new covenant uh, in the church and they had kind of been lost for a period of time. They were clouded uh, as we hit the, the late Middle Ages and then they God, by his Holy Spirit, was recovering them. And today we're going to be looking at sola fide, which means we are justified through faith alone. Our text is going to be Romans 5, 1, and 2. 5, 1, and 2, because it, it ties together the last three weeks that we've been talking about grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone. So Romans 5, 1 to 2, as always, you can follow along on the screen up here. I'm going to be using the, the New International Version today. Romans chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2, hear now the words of your Creator and your Redeemer. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This month we've been talking about this uh, 500th anniversary of the Reformation. There wasn't really a, a start date you can pick because on October the 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther had created 95 theses, it was not the first set of theses he had done. He had done a few just a, a month or two earlier and they'd, they'd caused no furor at all. But on October the 31st, 1517, uh, these theses were nailed to the door of the church there in Wittenberg this was kind of like the public bulletin board back then. That's what you did. There wasn't anything unusual about it. But in those 95 theses, uh, as they were looked at and began to be discussed, it started a firestorm of controversy. And over time, the ideas of the Reformation gradually became clearer. In fact, Luther later said that the day those theses were put up and the Reformation started, he basically didn't fully understand what was going on. He himself didn't really understand the depth of all of the ideas that were later going to be seen arising out of those theses and arising out of what he had been studying. And, and these things were the five solas. On the day he nailed it up, Luther didn't fully, couldn't have articulated sola scriptura, nor sola gratia, nor solus Christus, nor sola fide, nor uh, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. Uh, but it, over time it became clearer that to shatter one or to alter one was to shatter all of them. That they were all linked together and you could not remove one without destroying the entire garment. And in fact, the central issue really came down to being justification by faith alone. As Luther, who had been lecturing on Romans and Galatians and the book of Psalms, as he was continuing to lecture on these and continue to work through them, 
he really came to a place where Romans 1, 16 and 17, which we began our meeting with today, he had to wrestle with this because for Luther, the righteousness of God was a terrible thing because he knew his own sin. And as he considered God's righteousness, and Paul said that, you know, the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For in the, righteous, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And Luther said that's a terrible thing. Except for the more he meditated on it, the more he studied on it, and he continued to look at it, he said, suddenly my mind became alive to understand that the righteousness of God is uh, God's own inherent character, God's nature, and it's being given to us as believers. And when Luther understood that, he said suddenly it was like a cloud had been rolled away. Instead of approaching God as a fearful judge, I now saw he was a kind father through Christ, and I apprehended and laid a hold of that by faith alone. So today what we want to talk about is what is justification? What does it mean to be justified? How is faith involved? And what place would works have in that? Kind of similar themes that we've been looking at all along. Now, in our text, it's got what I would refer to as the nexus of salvation. Nexus is not a word we use a lot, but it basically means an interlocking web of things, things that are tied together in a way. And, and as I've said, the problem is if you start removing one, the whole thing can kind of fall because they're all interdependent upon one another. And notice in this text in Romans 5, in the first four chapters, Paul has laid out the gospel very clearly he's gone line upon line and here when we come to romans 5 1 and 2 he's kind of summing it up notice that's why he begins with therefore i've been telling you for four chapters what's been going on really from romans 1 16 and 17 which i just quoted all the way forward i've laid out the gospel so therefore since we've been justified through faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have gained access by faith and notice this phrase into this grace in which we now stand. So he's saying at the, at the rock bottom of it all, because he's kind of building a chain there, at the bottom base of it all is the grace of God. Because if God was not a gracious God, we would be without hope. Jesus did not come to turn an ungracious father into a gracious father. Jesus came because God the Father is gracious to us. And God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are gracious to us. And so he tells us here that salvation is by grace alone. Notice he says there's nothing in here about our efforts. It's, there's not one word in this summary of the gospel about what we do. It's rather about what God has done. And he tells us that God, his gracious kindness, his mercy is something that underlies our salvation. And he says, in fact, this is the ground, the place in which we stand. If it was not for the grace of God, there would be no salvation. If it was not for the grace of God, you and I would be lost. So the grace of God is necessary, not as the, the medieval church taught, you remember that thing like it was some extra caffeine, something that just helped you and I to work out our own salvation, to do our own thing to get saved. No, it is the kindness and the mercy of God that enables the plan of salvation to be unfolded for the path of salvation to be open to you and me and so it's the foundation for everything else but notice as well in this text we're told that God's grace is offered to us in Christ alone 
Because the question would be, well, then if God is gracious, how does he work it out? Maybe he's just saying, if you work 50%, that'll be good enough for me. I'll grade on the curve. But that's not what Paul tells us. He says, since we've been justified with faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access, ultimately into this grace in which we now stand. So the grace of God is there. Well, how do we get into the grace of God? Paul says it's through Christ. And just as there's nothing about our works, nor is there anything here about anyone other than Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that we have Christ and we have the Old Testament patriarchs and we have New Testament saints and we have anybody else. It's just Christ and Christ alone that gives us access into the grace of God. And notice here he says, we have peace with God. That's the ultimate issue of what this is about. We who are by nature children of wrath are now by the gospel children of peace. We exist in God's shalom. We exist under the favor of God. And our access to this peace and our access to this grace comes through Christ alone. God is gracious, but that grace is always tied to Christ. And so what that means is no one has access to the grace of God no one has access to the covenants of God, to a single promise God has ever made apart from Jesus Christ. It does not matter what your physical lineage, your ancestry is. It does not matter what organization you belong to, how much money you have, anything other than Christ alone. If you are in Christ, every covenant promise of God is yours. And if you are outside of Christ, not one covenant promise of God is yours. None of them. They are all, yes, I won't put this verse up, but Paul in another place says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. And through him, we speak the amen to the glory of God. And outside of Christ, there are no covenant promises. And outside of Christ, an amen cannot be spoken to the glory of God. So we don't get access to God based on works or merits of anyone other than Jesus. Because when you understand what Jesus has given to you, you don't need anybody else. I, I am appreciative of Father Abraham. I'm appreciative of the Apostle Paul. I'm appreciative of men like Augustine and Luther and Calvin. But they don't add anything to give me access to God. That was the problem when they had, when Tetzel came in and he's offering the indulgences. The bottom line problem with indulgences is not that Augustine and Gregory the Great and other guys were good guys. That's not the problem. The problem is what you're actually doing is undermining who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Because if you know who Jesus is and you know what Jesus has done, you don't think, well, who else's stuff am I going to add to that? The second you think you have to add something to that from someone else, it's a clear sign you don't understand what you've been given in Christ. Once you've been given his perfect righteousness, you need nothing else. And so it's nothing but Jesus. That's like the hymn we sang this morning. It's, it's Christ alone, okay? On Christ the solid rock I stand, okay? Nothing else can earn us favor. Finally, that leads to the question, well, if it's grace, and grace is only by Christ, well, then maybe I access the work of Christ by being good enough. These are things that we've done. We didn't think it was grace, we thought it was law. We didn't think it was just Christ, we thought it was Christ plus other people. And then we say, well, if it is grace, and it is Christ, but still I have to do something to access it. That's always the way human beings have been. 
But Paul here tells us, and the Reformation recovered, no, you access it by faith, and faith alone, not faith plus, faith alone. Notice he says here twice, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, notice, is there anything about my works? Just through faith. And then down in verse 2, uh, it, you know, through our Lord, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So we are justified through faith. We gain access through faith. Now, be very clear, faith is not the ground of your salvation. You are not saved because you have enough faith. You are saved because of what Christ did for you. Faith is simply the empty hand that receives what Christ did. Some, some Protestants have messed this up and said, well, faith is the only work God accepts. Faith is not a work. Faith is the anti-work. It is the opposite of work. Faith is not something you do. Faith is simply an empty hand that receives what Christ has done. The ground is God's grace and the work of Christ. Faith is merely the instrument that receives that work of Christ. It's how God's grace is given to us in Christ. And so it is this open hand. Now, this is important because to remind the, the, the nexus that the medieval church had worked out was grace is this substance that's going to get infused into you. You're kind of sick and you're lazy. And so God's going to give you, remember I used that example that one theologian says, a can of spiritual Red Bull He's going to give you some pep into your step so you'll start doing stuff because God helps those who help themselves and that's how you're going to get saved. Well, the reformer said, you're dead. Dead men don't help themselves. They don't do anything. And grace is, in fact, not some material that's infused into me. The word grace actually refers to the character of God. That's what the Greek word meant. It dealt with God's gracious favor towards us it's how God acts towards us not something that's put into us and they said and their system well grace is necessary but it's not sufficient there's gonna be some grace but you got to do something to activate it the reformer said no grace is necessary and grace is sufficient regarding Christ the medieval church said well Christ had merits to give us but we need the merits of the saints and we need the merits of Mary. And we need the merits of the church, this treasury house of merits. And by the way, you, you get those not just through the grace of God and not just through Christ. You get those by like, you know, buying indulgences. Okay? Now, if this seems really foreign, folks, I invite you to turn on Christian TV. Okay? And sad to say you'll see much more medieval theology of buying indulgences through Protestant televangelists than you will through the Roman Catholic Church today. Okay? You really will. You, you, you will see it there. This is somehow, I got to do this to get the... The second you do that, you're off in works. You, you, you've left the way God has planned out. And so the medieval church said it wasn't Christ alone. Christ was necessary, but he wasn't sufficient. And they said, actually, justification is a process where God actually pours righteousness into us and we become more and more righteous and we've got to add our own works in. I mean, hey, there's, 
there's Jesus and there's Mary and there's the early church, but all of that's not quite enough. We're going to need to add something into that to actually do it. Faith is necessary in that, but it's not sufficient. And in fact, lest you think that this was people were just misunderstanding each other, you can actually go back and read the Council of Trent, which was a declaration from the church at that time back towards the Reformers. They very well understood exactly what the Reformers were saying and said, if you believe that, you're anathema, you are cursed, you are going to hell. And thereby tried to anathematize Paul and Jesus, which is a bit of a problem, okay? That was very clear. That was how it was stated but the problem with all of that is they don't understand grace they don't understand christ and his righteousness and they don't understand justification so we're going to briefly look at understanding justification by faith alone and then again i have the sad duty of showing us it's actually worse today than it was 500 years ago and it's worse today many many people in the evangelical church today are functioning like the very church that the reformers we're having a problem with and we're trying to reform okay so let's look and see what is justification by faith alone well the first thing is what is justification justification is not god infusing righteousness into us and a process over time whereby we grow and become more righteous that's actually sanctification justification is a legal declaration notice in romans 5 1 it does not say Therefore, since we are being justified, nor does it say, therefore, since we will be justified, what does it say? Since we have been justified. This is actually in the Greek, uh, a, a aorist tense. It's not a present continuous ongoing. It speaks of it as one complete act is what it is speaking of. It is saying you have been. And justification itself, the reformers went back and said, look, it's a legal term. In the Greek world, it was used as a legal term. When a judge declared you not guilty, you were justified. That's what the dikaiao, which is the Greek verb form, that, that's what it came out to be. It means you've been declared righteous. And so Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified in the past, we have peace in the current, in the present, with uh, our God through our Lord Jesus Christ have been justified in the past because justification is a one-time declaration it's like being pregnant you are or you're not not like well it's kind of a long-term thing and you kind of go through it no you either are justified or you're not justified and that's not an argument that can be had well one side says one one side says no that's what the word means and that's how it's defined in the scripture and that's how it's used over and over and over again and so actually in our in our church we we have a catechism and in question 38 we ask the question what is justification and here's the answer that we work by justification is the gracious act of god in which he declares that we are totally righteous as if we had never sinned and as if we had positively obeyed all of god's law perfectly Notice it's gracious. It's based on the grace of God, not something we do. Notice that it is God declares we are righteous. And how righteous are we declared to be? Totally righteous. Because whose righteousness are we being given? 
Jesus' righteousness, God's righteousness is coming to us. So that's why you, you can't grow. How do you grow in perfection? It's a nonsensical concept. When you are justified, you are given the perfect righteousness of Christ. And notice, it's just as if I'd never sinned. And this is another area evangelicals sometimes mess it up. You can hear the little quip, what does justification mean? Just as if I'd never sinned, which is a very good 50% mark. That is half the truth. It is just as if I'd never sinned, but that puts me right back like Adam in the garden, which I might point out got messed up. What we need is not only just as if I'd never sinned, but just as if I had already had to keep the entire law and every thought, word, and deed, and did it perfectly to the standard of God. Test done, test completed, fully justified. And that's what's given to you and me in Jesus Christ. That's what justification means is we have perfectly, positively obeyed God's law. And that leads to the second point, which you can see again, we'll look at a number of verses in Romans and Philippians and other places, but Paul tells us justification means Christ's righteousness is given to you. This is what Luther referred to as an alien righteousness. It's not my own. Paul in Philippians 3, 8, and 9 says this. He's been listing all the righteousness he would have. I was a Jew of Jews. I was of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Pharisee by the law. And according to their system, I was blameless before the law. But Paul said, when I saw Jesus, that was all dung. And he actually uses a little bit stronger word than dung. Okay? But Paul, Paul gets pretty coarse there. And says, this is what that is, man. That is, that is the stuff that... You don't want to talk about that. That's thrown away. That's behind you. He says, I got rid of all of it, and here's why. Because what is more, I consider everything a loss. Whatever you would say, that's good about Paul. Paul says, I take all of that, and all that stuff is dung. It is nothing compared to the surpassing great greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Or, or scubalo is the term. It's a very earthy term. That, that I may gain Christ, and why do I want to gain Christ? And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Amen. Notice here what he says, it's, we've got this, this note of faith again, but notice he's saying, it's not a righteousness of my own. My righteousness has nothing to do with it which is the problem with what the medieval church was saying. It's not my righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness that is given to me. It is a righteousness that comes from God. Well, if you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, how are you going to make that better? How are you going to add to that? That is infinite righteousness. It is perfect righteousness. And friend, you, your, your righteousness is not infinite. Mine's very finite. I mean, mine you need like, you know, an electron microscope to find it sometimes. His is infinite. And his is absolutely perfect. Flawless. And Paul says, man, when I saw that, everything everybody else told me counted. I threw that behind me. That, that was landfill stuff. That is refuse. I am not interested in that because I've got the righteousness of Jesus. And when that's given to me, I don't need anything else. 
That is what God has given to us. We are given this righteousness by faith alone. And that faith alone, notice, is being contrasted to me thinking I've got something to hold on to. Paul doesn't say, well, it's mainly faith, but I did try to keep the law. Or it's mainly faith, but I was a Jew. Paul says, no, faith means I've forgotten all of that. I admit that all of that has no bearing before God. That is less than dust on the scales. It means nothing. And so this is why the reformers said, well, then justification is by faith alone. Not just by faith, because the medieval church said justification was by faith, just not faith alone. And so if we uh, look in Romans chapter 4, verses 4 to 8, part of Paul's explanation leading up to our text, he says this. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. I dare say none of you this week, if you get a paycheck, are going to fall down on the ground before your boss and say, oh, thank you, I did not deserve this. This is totally a gift from you to me. And if you took this and burned it up right now, you would be utterly right in doing so. Who's going to do that this week? Okay? Pretty sure nobody's going to do that. In fact, most of us are probably going to say, man, you're pretty chintzy about my time. Okay? That's what Paul says. If you've worked, it's not a gift. It's an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but, notice it's a juxtaposition. You either work or he trusts God who justifies who? Justifies, say it out loud, the wicked. What has my righteousness got to do with that? Other than that there isn't any. It's not sufficient. It's not of the right quality. God justifies the wicked, Paul says. And so you're in one of two places. You either stand before God and you say, I've worked for this, good luck, or you say, I did nothing. In fact, everything I did deserves unjustified, deserves condemnation, deserves eternal wrath. That's what I've done. I stand here naked, and all I do is plea for your mercy because of Christ Jesus. And Paul says, if you do that and you trust God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited, or the old word was imputed, as righteousness. God says the slate is wiped clean, and what happens is all the righteousness of Jesus is given to you. It's as if I had spent my entire life, and I had done nothing but build up millions of dollars of debt, and then suddenly I was married to the richest person in the world, and our accounts became as one, and their billions and billions of dollars just swallowed my debt up whole. And I went from being in beggar's prison to being the richest person on earth. That's what Paul says happens here. It is credited as righteousness. And he goes on in verse 6 and says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from work. You don't work to get it. It is credited. It is given to you. It is an alien righteousness, and it is in opposition to works. Paul says this is the way it even was under the old covenant. You didn't you didn't work for your salvation then. That's why his examples are Abraham and David. 
He's saying this is the way it has always been. And so notice it's the same points as Philippians 3, 8, and 9. Works as opposed to faith. It is a righteousness that is given to us as opposed to that which we earn. And so he's speaking here of this imputation. This God is crediting righteousness to you and me. Something that was not ours is given to us and we don't work. It is apart from works. It is faith alone. And that is how it comes to us. And the fact that it is credited Whose righteousness is being credited to us? Whose righteousness is being given to us? It's Christ. See, the funny thing is, somebody did have to work for salvation. Somebody did have to obey the law of God. It's just not you or me. Jesus did it for us. And he did it perfectly. He took the test, aced it, and then said, I give my grade to you. That's what justification is. So, The reason justification has to be by faith alone is in justification we are given the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you can't add anything else to it. That's why the alone, sola, is so important in all of these sayings. Because the second you add something to it, if I add to Christ's perfect righteousness, I've only messed it up. That's all I've done. Secondly, we cannot add to the righteousness we've already been given. It's of perfect quality and it's of sufficient quantity. You don't need anything else. It's not just necessary, it's sufficient. Nothing else can be added to it. And our works, even our best works, are always tainted with sin and can only dilute or contaminate the perfect righteousness that's been given to us from Christ. This is why, and this is not just true at the moment of my justification. My access to God, as somebody who's been a believer for 40 years, is never based on, you know, I was pretty good yesterday, so I think you need to hear my prayer today. What's my access to God? It is always through Christ alone, and it is always through faith alone. And the amazing thing is, it's not even about the amount of faith that you have to have. It's about the perfection of what your faith is receiving. And that perfection is Jesus Christ. So to say in any way our works add to our justification is to deny that Christ is sufficient. Faith is not only necessary, faith is sufficient. You don't need anything else. Because God's grace alone has been offered through Christ alone, and God says all you have to do is believe. You only have to trust. Now, why do we need this today? You may be saying, well, Brett, this would have been great if you'd have been Lutheran, you'd have been preaching 500 years ago, but we all know this today. I beg to differ. I'm going to go back to the polls we've been looking at, a couple of them. Uh, Lifeway Ligonier did one a couple years ago, and they were asking a whole number of questions regarding this because they knew we were coming up to it. And so they, they went around and said, The question was, an individual must contribute his or her own effort, his or her own works, for personal salvation. 71% of Americans agreed. 71% agreed. Okay, this is not from 100 years ago. This is a couple of years ago. 71%. Now I'm going to give you an even more depressing one. Pew Research, because it is the 500th anniversary right now, went around and asked people and they specifically were breaking them down and so they were asking protestants what do you think 
And the question was, both good deeds and faith in God are needed to get into heaven. 52% of Protestants agreed. 52% of the people who said, I side with Luther in the Reformation said, but actually I don't. I actually agree with exactly what he was saying was wrong. So this isn't just average Americans. This is 52% of the people who claim that they have bought into the Reformation. And it's even worse in Europe. Only one country in Europe even got to 50%. Not even Germany, <laughs> where the Reformation started. Nor Switzerland, where Calvin and Bootser and Zwingli all work. None of them. Only Norway even reached 50%. Here's what makes it even worse. Only 30% of Protestants in America agree with both sola scriptura and sola fide. And 36% believe neither one of them. That's what's most popular. I don't agree that it's only God's word alone, and I absolutely don't agree that it is faith alone. Current, today, this is Protestants, not just general ragamuffin Americans. This is Protestants. So the current state of American beliefs, and I could go, I don't have specific things, but you, you can listen out there to survey after survey that is done where they go up at evangelical conventions and ask even pastors. And they ask questions like, do you think it's, it's faith alone or do you think it's faith plus works? And I heard pastors, evangelical pastors say, well, if I could answer that, you know, I, that'd be the million dollar question. I mean, a lot smarter people than me have been debating that for years. No, not really. It, you don't have to be a genius to answer this. People saying, well, I don't know that you can really define the gospel. Paul would be really depressed because he wrote a couple of entire books just about that, defining the gospel. It is very clear. It's not hard to understand. But there is so much fog out here in the, in the pulpit, no wonder everybody's confused sitting out there. And so the current state of our beliefs is that, uh, that justification by faith alone is some kind of an optional add-on. Friends, it is not an optional add-on. It is the very gospel itself. All of those texts are, you are either standing there by faith alone, or you are standing there with faith plus works. And those who stand there with faith plus works are going to be condemned. There is no hope apart from God's grace offered to us, and it is received by faith alone. This is the gospel and most American Protestants don't believe it right now. This county, Anne Arundel, only 15% of people are going to church this morning. And of those, only some of those are even Protestants. And of those, if we follow the statistics, half of those don't even understand the gospel. We're like a mission field right here. It's where things have come. Most Protestants today have beliefs that are much closer to the key beliefs the Reformers were, were accurately condemning as unbiblical and being another gospel. And that's for the ones who are supposed to be understanding it, much less how everybody else is operating. And so we need a modern Reformation to restore the gospel, even to Protestant churches, even to evangelical churches who take the name regarding the gospel, the evangel, the good news. Even there, we're much more interested today in, can you give me a little sermon series on four you know, quick points for how I can do this? 
Because we think our problem is something other than what our problem really is, which is that we are under a weight of sin before a holy God. And so sola fide is of the utmost importance. It is the gospel. And without it, we are lost. Secondly, sola fide is of utmost importance because it's God's remedy for both objective and subjective guilt. The objective guilt is we stand before a holy God in our sin, and the only remedy is God's grace alone that is offered to us in Christ alone and is received by faith alone. You cannot get rid of that objective guilt any other way. But here's the other point. We also have subjective guilt. We walk around feeling guilty. And this is one of Luther's problems. And we go back and do the same kind of things. If I just do enough of this, or if I have a longer quiet time, or if I do this, somehow I'm going to remove that subjective feeling of guilt. And usually what we end up doing is just defining God's law down, making it somehow easier, and kind of, you know, upgrading on the curve how good we are and trying to level the two out. Okay? That's not the way it works. The, The cure for subjective guilt is to realize your standing before God is based on Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And that does not change. Jesus doesn't have good weeks and bad weeks. You and I do. I just hope to have some good weeks in here. Jesus always, every day is a good day. Every morning his mercies are new and they are sufficient. And so my subjective guilt is cleansed and removed by the gospel. It is removed by Christ's righteousness. And it is received by faith alone. And so this is why the reformer said sola fide is the article on which the church stands or falls. That was Luther. He said that that is what it is, and he is right. And so I make a plea to you this morning. If you should ever be called to another church, if you pick up and you move or you go somewhere else, please, A, number one, it does not matter what the parking lot is like. It does not matter how beautiful the building is. I know it'll never be as beautiful as the big, ugly metal (laughs) one we got here, right? That does not matter. It does not matter how cool the worship team is up front, that, man, they were better than going to a U2 concert or whatever. None of that stuff matters. What matters is, are you going to hear the gospel? Is the gospel going to be offered to you in word and sacrament regularly? Are you going to be able to come and say, it is, it is what God has done for me. And are you going to be reminded of that? Because, friends, you will never grow past that. You must preach the gospel to yourself every day. And you need someone to stand here and open God's word and proclaim Christ to you. Week after week after week, that is what you need. That is what I need. And so please, when you go to a church, that is what matters. Everything else is frills. Everything else is optional add-ons. Are they preaching Christ? That's what we need. You and I need the gospel. So to apply the word, it's really just one question and we're going to come to the table. Do I understand and believe the gospel? Do I understand and believe the gospel? Now, I'm going to put a phrase up here, what the gospel is. The gospel tells us that we are accepted before God 
because of Christ's righteousness and atoning work alone, apart from any works or merits of our own, and that his righteousness is received by faith alone, apart from any efforts on our part. Do you believe that? If you do, you are covered with the righteousness of Christ. If you don't, you're going to stand there and try and do the tap dance before God and convince him that your righteousness is good enough. Because the two are mutually exclusive. Mutually exclusive. Do I believe this? If you do not, I urge you, embrace Christ today. There is no other hope of salvation. If you do believe this already, then what I want to urge you is we're going to come to the table. And this table is a visible representation. I have just preached Christ, and you've heard Christ now we're going to see the work of Christ in our behalf enacted for us. And this table is the table of this whole salvation and gospel we've been talking about. Because this table is set by grace alone. You, you, the only reason that the table is set is because Jesus set the table for us. This table is set by Christ alone, and it represents Christ's sacrifice. There's nothing on here about anything anybody else did. It's all about Jesus and who he is and what he did. And at this table, we come and we receive by faith alone. The, the medieval church wanted so often, even the, the way you did it was, you know, you, you, uh, it automatically worked for you. Whether, whether you had faith or not, you got the benefit because they wanted to remove faith out of everything. Today, we so often even go the other way. Well, I only really receive Christ if I feel like I did. Okay. You don't receive Christ by faith plus feelings. It matters not whether I feel like I receive Christ or not. He's either true or a liar. And he's promised if I believe and I come, I receive. And so this morning, we come and we feast and we eat by grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone. And so I encourage you this morning, come and feast by faith. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the remission of your sins. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come to this table and we come because of your grace. We come because of Christ and we come by faith. We ask that you would meet us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. As you get the elements, hold on to them, and I encourage you to consider Christ and what he has done for you. Look away from yourself and look to Christ. We will take together in just a couple moments.
Father, we come to this table this morning. We come by the gospel. And we do thank you for saving us. Lord, we come this morning because we recognize that Jesus Christ's body was broken for us. And we recognize that his body was broken because what we brought was sin. Lord, we were born in sin. We have all chosen to sin. We have rebelled against you and your ways. We have done it in our thoughts. We have done it in our attitudes. We have done it in our words. And we have done it in our deeds. But because you are a gracious God, you sent forth your son, born of a virgin. And he took flesh, and he lived in obedience to your law where we had not. And he was broken, and crushed, and paid the penalty that was due to us for our sin. And so, Lord, we take this bread, and we recognize that in taking this, Lord, we proclaim our belief is that our hope is Christ alone. Christ living for us, Christ dying for us, Christ rising for us. This and this alone is our salvation. Take and eat. And Jesus, we thank you that you have given us the cup of salvation and that this cup which represents your blood that was shed, seals your covenant with us. It not only has that blood removed our sin, it has made us perfectly righteous. We thank you that through this covenant, the righteousness of Christ has been given to us and that we now stand before you not half justified, but fully justified, at peace with you, heirs of all of your covenant promises, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. As he stands before you, Father, so do we. And all of this is on account of your covenant that is sealed for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we lift up the cup of thanksgiving and we say thanks be to God for the blood of Jesus Christ. It is our hope. It is our righteousness. And in drinking this, we cling to it and proclaim that on that day, we will say our sins were forgiven and we stand before you with hope because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone. This is our hope. Take and drink. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you have done as we have gathered with you this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would feed us as your people throughout this week, that you would encourage and strengthen and nourish us. Lord, I pray when the enemy would bring up and try to condemn us, we would hear there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray, Lord, when that subjective guilt would come upon us, we would be able to say, get thee behind me, for I stand in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, we are yours. And Lord, we are so grateful that 
the gospel depends not on us, but on Christ. For Lord, if there's a way we could mess it up, we surely would. So Lord, we are grateful that you have done all, and we are simply the grateful recipient of salvation. Lord, would you send us forth under your grace and your peace, and being that people, could we go forth with the good news that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have gained access through faith into this grace in which we now stand. Let that ring forth from us this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. And I will conclude with a word of benediction out of Romans. I encourage you to receive and trust and believe the promises of God. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, go in his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.